everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Modern Golden Age podcast. And today with me, I have the one and only Al Shai. Al, thank you so much for coming for on the show. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Jean. Now it's 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 my pleasure. And I wanted to start uh, talking about. Uh, we'll talk about your podcast and about dialectics and about a bunch of other things. But as I was doing some research for our conversation, I stumbled upon your website. And in, in the about page, you have there a, a quote where you say, from most relevant to least, I am a father and husband. And then you go and say a podcaster. And then you, and in the end, it's like a gardener. And I was really moved by this. Why is it that you consider that the most important thing that you are is a father and a husband? Well, I mean, it just uh, takes precedence before everything, you know, it's, uh, it's all um, nice that we go online, that we're so busy doing our projects, whatever, um, but first and foremost, I'm part of a household with my wife and my child, and I want, uh, you know, I depend on them the most, and they depend on me the most, so that's kind of where naturally my um, commitment and energy uh, goes to first and foremost, you know, it's really there's no decision that doesn't go through the filter of is it good for all of us as a, as a yeah. little society. Yeah, that was when, like, the first time we connect, we actually did it because uh, to discuss relationships, basically, I I, I, have, I had a bunch of questions to ask you in that sense. And, like, what I remember that leaving that with our conversation with this idea of always um, making sure that the choices you make are aligned with your family and with your, your relationship, that is, 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 it makes a lot of sense. You're also a tour guide in Israel, right? And that's something, like, I, I'm, since... Because my background is music, and then I went to corporate trainer, and now I'm entrepreneur in education. Like I'm always looking for people that have these seemingly totally different backgrounds. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you end up being a tour guide in Israel, and what you love about it. Yeah. So first of all, I think like the the, the chain of really quite seemingly unrelated things maybe starts with. Maybe the fact that I was at all in the army, but we have to do that. Um, so that that wouldn't have been my choice, but we have to do that. Um, so that's unlikely for me as a person. Then uh, getting out of the army, moving to the U.S. for two and a half years, mostly living in an off the grid homestead in the forest, um, coming back, wanting to go to university, getting a degree in English literature and linguistics um so that's why i don't know uh finishing that <laughs> not really knowing what to do with that professionally then looking at my dad who made the switch from a uh, factory manager to tour guide um, around his 50th birth birthday uh, realizing that i don't have to wait until i'm 50 uh doing the course for that which is quite um serious it takes two years and uh, mm -hmm. you have to have a lot of knowledge about a lot of different things and aspects of israel um history archaeology botany um geology oh, archaeology wow. religion so a lot and then um just starting to work with that not even knowing that it would be um a job that, that I like, but I really like it and I like meeting the people. 
and meeting the people is really what connects every experience that I that I've had and probably will have. Yeah, that's that's so interesting because when when we actually discussed this early uh, about how you ended up being a tour guide, but uh, when you we thought when we talked about it, I always thought like my mental picture of being a, a tour guide was like being a tour guide on Lisbon, which has nothing to do with what you just <laughs> described. Like, it's way easier. I had no idea. Like, so, like, out of curiosity, guide me through the process. Like, what would a normal day as a, a tour guide would look like? Like, would you go to different places? How, how would that work? Yeah, absolutely. So, yes, it is strange. I'm a tour guide for the whole country, which is, um, I think... A quarter of the size of Portugal, about. Yeah. But it's still a large area, and um, I'm supposed to know everything about all the cities in it, about all the archaeological sites, about all the religious sites, of which there are a lot. Um, so, of course, there are like the usual suspects in terms of places to visit with tourists, like Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, the Dead Sea, Caesarea. Are the are the four main um, places to go to, but uh, yeah, it can be quite surprising. And I work with people trying to see what they what they're interested in. Uh, touring with somebody who's here for the first time and is a Catholic Christian is just very very different from touring with um, a Jewish person from New York who's been here a dozen times. And then the challenge is to find a place which they haven't seen yet. It's not really a challenge. There are a lot. Um, but yeah, it can take me all over the place, and um, yeah, so it's it's very um, diverse. The the kind yeah. of there is no typical thing. Yeah, it's 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 so great that you actually adjust like the, what what you guys are doing based on on the the person that, or the persons that are visiting. Uh, so I have to ask, like, let's say that I I've never gone to Israel. Um, let's say that I have like a spare weekend and i decide to go like what are some of the places that i must watch uh, or see actually and especially what are some of the places where i have to eat because i'm a very i'm a food lover so what are the best restaurants uh, that i definitely need to check out yeah so if you're if you're a food lover and you're not you're not too much of a religious um, person because it, it's kind of this, there's this crazy dichotomy. There's Jerusalem, this really old, approximately 5,000-year-old city, right? That is uh, holy to, to the major Abrahamic religions. Um, and it's still the energies there, like the religious stuff on Saturdays. It's completely closed up. There are no shops and stuff because people are, are keeping the Sabbath. And then there's Tel Aviv, which is this... European cosmopolitan, often called the gay capital of, of Europe, um, on all its food and theaters and all that. And they're just an hour away, you know. So that's, mm. that's Israel for you. Everything is condensed. So now that yeah. you've told me that you're a foodie and, and looking to see that, then it would definitely be Tel Aviv. And um, yeah, there are just so many good restaurants. There's a beach. Um, and it, it doesn't lack in history as yeah. well. Uh, architecture, there's a, a UNESCO World Heritage Site um, that's part of Tel Aviv with a, a special architecture style that's in there. Uh, but for weekend, for you, that would be Tel Aviv. Yeah. 
Awesome, awesome. Well, um, I might do it, and then I'll, I'll let you know. So, uh, moving on, uh, you have this phenomenal podcast, which um, I really love. It, it's called Deep Dive Podcast, um, and and I I remember that the first time that I actually heard one of your episodes was with Paul, um, the improv teacher, and it was mm -hmm. phenomenal. And I really loved the concept, uh, and and and. I'm doing research for for this this podcast. I've listened to a bunch of other episodes that I've, I found interesting or that I thought that I would find interesting, and then ended up actually loving it even more. Uh, but but my question is like, first of all, can you for people that haven't heard your your podcast, can you please let us know uh, what you talk about and how, how did that came through? Yeah, absolutely. Um. Uh... Thank you, thank you for the for the kind uh, words first of all, and I'm really glad you like it. Um, yeah, the podcast is um, basically one of my main interests is philosophy, which we're going to touch on later, and I wanted to bring that into the public sphere and talk about it, but not um, really stay clear of anything that's philosophy in in academia, which is just this like as we call it, doxography. It's just like who said what at what year and then he commented and it's just this like people kind of building castles in the air in terms of these like super abstract ideas. Um, so by the time it gets to like modern and postmodern French philosophers, it's like all gobbledygook. It's really hard to understand. And philosophy, people have to understand, is the activity of pursuing a good life. So understanding what it is and doing what it takes. This is philosophy to me. Um, and so I wanted to talk with people and start understanding uh, from each guest what is one idea, because it could be many ideas and some of them come back for a second um, conversation, but just one idea can, can get a, a whole show um, very easily. One idea that has helped people live well, however they define it. Um, I have my definition for living well. And it's just fascinating to um, to kind of go straight at the um, beliefs, conceptions that people have and that help them get through this messy thing called life. Um, yeah. And I just find it fascinating and infinitely um, interesting. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how it came to be. Yeah, and, and and it's a great show, and people that are listening should definitely subscribe. And one of the things that I really enjoy is that, like you just said, uh, like philosophy is 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 something practical. You should use it to pursue uh, the good life, right? Uh, and one of the things that I really like about your podcast is that. Um, like you, you can listen to all these different podcasts about, around optimization and hacks and tricks and all that stuff. And it, it, it's usually way easier to digest, right? It's basically, here are three things that you need to do in order to live a better life. Do this, do this, do this. And that's easy. The thing is, in my experience, it doesn't bring uh, transformation. You, you, you change for a bit and then you, you get back and you listen to another show and another show and another show. And one of the things that I really enjoy about Deep Dive is that because of that passion around philosophy, you, you actually talk with your guests in a, in a more deep way. And that, that allows you to maybe, I, I, I don't leave a deep dive podcast with seven hacks to do X, but I may have like this great idea that can have a, a, a deep impact in my life. So my question would be um, like, why do you think that people prefer 
uh, the hacks. Uh, and the the second question is like, do do you agree with my assessment of 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 the kind of conversations that you have? Yeah, definitely, a hundred percent. Well, what you're describing, I think, is spoon feeding, which people love. So I think the reason behind people really flocking to um, buy the book with the ten rules or buy the course with the ten with the ten steps or what it's it's just something that's natural to us and there's nothing wrong with it we as people are just tend to go for for whatever is immediate so immediate gratification um when information is just given to us instead of us having to think about that's like conceptually um very enticing uh but as you say, that doesn't drive a meaningful change because actually the best way to really gain knowledge of something is to go through the steps and understand what are some of the wrong, where some of the wrong turns are going to get you, right? So it's not just about taking um, the path of least resistance like you get um, when you put on uh, like a navigation app like Waze or Google. Um, people are... are are worse at navigation now that we have these apps, right? Because you actually want to know um, what turn you should get and also what you would see if you if you didn't turn that way. Um, yeah, so I think I think the, the right way for listening to my podcast is even just looking at the whole thing as a concept album. And that gets hard with dozens of episodes, but you know, a concept album is not something that you judge by one song. You see how the whole fits. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite things is to see how different conversations and then they together bring to me new ideas that I can uh, work out on my own later. But um, hearing Paul, for example, and then hearing my friend Nico on another episode, and it's like from for. From the synthesis, I get an even uh, fresher idea. So um, that's what I suggest people do. And um, yeah, so basically to answer your question, I think we're just creatures who like who are born to kind of stick to the to the immediate thing and mm-hmm. see what's right in front of us and is accessible here. Whereas thinking about um, the good life as a process, and this is why I say living well not the good life. The good life is something static which presumably you can possess, right? You can reach out and grab it and you have it. While living well is a process. And we just uh, tend to make things static and treat them as unchanging objects instead of processes, which is what life is, is a process. Yeah, that, that makes a little sense. So how did you went from, uh, like, because what you're saying makes little sense. We're human beings. We're uh, it's 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 in our almost like in, on in our DNA to just look at the the last thing, the easiest thing, the spoon feeding, as you were mentioning. But your podcast is basically the opposite of that. And my question is, how did you become a person that actually pursues the opposite of that instead of just accepting the spoon feeding? Yeah, yeah. So that's that's a, a great segue into dialectic. Um, Dialectic, and I just released an episode on, on my uh, podcast with my mentor and friend, Ivor, who introduced me to the concept and to the art of dialectic. Um, but basically, dialectic is the art of constructing a 
true model of the world. And uh, we do that by empowering people to think for themselves and to think critically, to think dialectically. So that means uh, doing a lot of um, comparison and contrast between concepts and using logic, kind of making sure that the uh, mental model that we have is not full of knots or is mangled up or is something which um, it's just a natural way for it to be built if it's if things are just learned haphazardly. Um, there are contradictions in our thinking. So we want to get rid of that. And once we do, we have a clearer picture of everything. And we're also, by understanding the nature of the good, um, start to think about what is a worthy um, object of pursuit for us in this life. And then it's like, okay, we're not, we're here for a reason none other than living well. And then you start thinking about what that means. And naturally and logically it follows that it's not a static thing. It's, and it could never come about because of the stuff you have. It's about how you, uh, as a process yourself, is an interaction with nature and by nature i mean everything um the whole universe including other people everything that's not our um psyche um yeah yeah so uh one of the things that i found fascinating in dialectics and, and, and let's just jump in is uh you, you mentioned in in a, another podcast uh where you were actually a guest i think that you said something along the lines of by exploring the 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 constraint, not, not the constraints, the, um, how do you say, uh, the borderlands, not borderlands, but you'll get the, the point. Mm -hmm. By, by yeah. exploring the borderlands of, of a concept, that's when we fully know that concept, right? And I really like that idea of, of using dialectics to know something uh, totally, let's call it like, because if I know the boundaries, right, I, I'll, I'll know, I'll, I have to recognize everything that's within those boundaries, within those constraints, right? So that's a way to actually, in, in, in an age where we just talk so much about critical thinking, uh, I was actually embarrassed uh, to never heard of dialectics before. Uh, and so I have, before we get into specifically how can we do, how can we practice dialectics, why do you think that there aren't that many people uh, familiarized with dialectics or maybe there is and I'm just living on on a bubble and if that's the case that's fine but why do you think that that's so few people know about it yeah that that's a great question first of all don't be embarrassed people don't know about it uh, some people in academia have heard about Hegelian dialectic that's completely different than what um I do than what Ivor does um yeah that's a great question I mean I think it starts with the fact that Ivor kind of discovered dialectic and really uh, recognized it to be the main overarching theme of Plato's dialogues because he dealt with Plato. And um, Plato's dialogues are often um, really the, the, the mainstream way of analyzing them is completely confused and, and misguided. So people don't land on that um, dialectic. And yeah, it's, it's a very niche thing and um so it's it's not at all your fault um but i also 
you know, I, I don't think that nobody knows about it, but I think nobody really practices it as, as the art that it is. And uh, Plato just laid the blueprint for us to follow for what dialectic is. But for that, we need to um, recognize his dialogues for what they are, puzzles. Um, and puzzles, that really touches on the idea of, you know, seeing, understanding something better or having knowledge of something better when it's the negative space that's left when all um, limits or borders are explored. So you can literally think of a jigsaw puzzle, you know. So now the, the, the life hacks type of approach that we discussed, that's, that's almost like you're a kid and you're being presented with a beautiful picture. And it's like, here's the picture, right? It's, this is it. Right. And you actually um, wouldn't know how to put a picture together. And dialectic mm -hmm. is really the art of learning how to put a picture together mm -hmm. and, and a beautiful picture at that and a mm -hmm. true picture at that. And the jigsaw puzzle, so that is something which we all know uh, gets easier as, as the more pieces are in there, right? So you start from the corners, presumably, and the edges, because that's easy. You see something there. Um, and you just progress and you always try to find a piece that's ad adjacent to something you already know mm -hmm. is in its right place. And sometimes you move things around. So it's, um, it's a gradual process that's, that's kind of about the whole, um, yeah. So I think that's, that's a, a good metaphor to explain why puzzles work so much better than um, simple didactic dogma uh, when yeah. it comes to understanding things. Yeah, in fact, not only the, not not only a kid wouldn't be able to to come up with that image, but it also won't question it, right? It will see it as this final product product that it may not even be true or even or or beautiful, but it it's just presented to him as this is what it is, and and it may not. So you just mentioned that Plato gives us a blueprint to to actually practice dial uh, uh, dialectics. As someone who never read uh, the Plato's uh, work except probably the Republic a few years ago. Uh, what's that blueprint? Like, how can we practice uh, that that um, art? Yeah, so a big question there. And I I would simply have to, to you know, just just to save some time, like refer you to the um, to the episode I just did with Ivor. And uh, also there's a link through my Twitter profile to my alternative Twitter profile of dialectician and over there you can find a link to a short document that I wrote about dialectic. Um, so it can be found there. But in short, uh, what Plato did is wrote dialogues and they are not tragedies, they are not comedies, they are not poetry, uh, they are not just nice stories, but they're also not philosophical treatises because otherwise people wouldn't be confused about them. They're dialectical puzzles. And because they're strange, they're supposed to pick your curiosity. So you're supposed to go, huh, that's interesting, which most scholars don't. So for example, Socrates says something early in the dialogue and then later on says something. Oh, do you remember that we agreed on these things? And his interlocutor will usually say yes, but it's actually not true. If you remember and you go back, it's like they did not agree to that at all. Mm you're supposed to go high, you're supposed to be a good scientist, you're supposed to be looking at these indiscrepancies. 
realize that the words spoken are not what the dialogue is about. Turn your attention to the characters, realize that they're models, realize that these models represent paradigms of, of a concept. And finally, after piecing everything together and have a, a strong thesis or hypothesis where everything finally makes sense to you in the dialogue, you get um, a good picture of what Plato's thoughts on one concept is. But the point is not even to give you the right idea about this concept. The point is to, um, to give you the benefit of having learned how to solve a puzzle. And you the do process. that dialectically. So you do that with the next um, dialogue and so on. And by the end of that, you become uh, a dialectician and the person who is thinking well. Um, so that aspect of life of thinking about concepts, it just mm -hmm. helps you go through the noise of life and cut through to the, to the things that are important because there's endless stimuli mm -hmm. out there. And if you're mm -hmm. triggered by all of them or you go and pay attention to everything, that's unsustainable. So you want to think about the relatively few things that are very important to you and these are things like love justice living well what is good fitting um and a few other things yeah that makes a little sense and and we'll leave the descriptions uh the, the actually we'll leave the links in in the description for the episodes of everything that you just mentioned but one of the reasons that i've found fascinating this whole uh, approach to thinking is because uh in, in order for us to get into a modern golden age, I do believe that part of it um, is, is just to improve our thinking, uh, to make sure that we're able to, to look at life from a different standpoint that then allows us to do the things in order to get into a modern golden age. And so making that shift there, um, what is a modern golden age to, to you? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's such a good insight you shared right there. Um, to me, I think a relevant quote here is by Henry Miller, who said, everything that has to be maintained by force is doomed, right? And this mm -hmm. includes every system that we experience so far in civilization was like a, a pressure cooker with some strong figure, dictator, ancestor, whatever, kind of holding everything together. And it's, it's there's apparent order in that, okay? It's, it's sort of orderly, um, but it's unstable and it's going to, it's going to um, just collapse mm -hmm. at some point, which, which yeah. has happened and will happen to empires and, you know, give it enough time. And it really, it literally doesn't matter what country you're looking at. The US, China, uh, they're all going at some point, okay? No matter how, how long it's going to take. Um, so, yeah, it's really, it's very much related to dialectic because when I say people are thinking well and thinking for themselves, um, you don't need that. You don't need the ordering principle that's some strong man who is telling everybody what to think. You don't need laws, right? If you, under, if you have people who understand what justice is, well, they will understand, for one, that justice isn't the law and couldn't be following the law because mm -hmm. you and i right now could think of instances where following the law is the unjust thing to do or 
where breaking the law is the just thing to do, right? Yeah. And sadly, we live in a society where this is not really, it's not something that we think about, but this is going to change if everybody, and yes, is it completely utopian at this point? Of course, I don't have any kind of um, thought that I'm going to, to live to see it, but if you distribute, if, if every other person is ordered in their own psyche and body, an agent of order, then it could be a grassroots movement of creating an orderly society. And uh, order is kind of a hallmark of logic. And with everything fitting in well together, that's going to be much, much more stable, you know? Um, so I think our society so far has been, you know, you could say granite, you could say maybe even the toughest rock we know on earth, right? But still, it's naturally formed. There are going to be cracks and stuff like that. Um, whereas some forms of crystals that are extremely tough, you know, like diamond, that's that's a different there, difference mm -hmm. there um, because of the arrangement of things. So mm -hmm. that would be a modern golden age for me is when enough people are internally um, in good condition so that they can give rise to a society that's in good condition and good health. Um, and this is going to create uh, stability, elegance, sustainability, and a bunch of other things. Yeah, that's, that's such a great answer. And and so my question would be relating both uh, dialectics and the modern golden age. Like by thinking critically, I may arrive at an a, a notion of what say um, living in community is. Because because I, I let's say that that's a topic that's very important to me because I want to bring the modern golden age. I want to be part of those individuals that are good with themselves so they can can create this this new kind of society and i arrive at the conclusion of what living uh with others is but let's say that you just do the same thing and through dialectics you arrive at a different conclusion so how can we then make sure that even though we have different uh views this does not uh get in a way of building something different because if we don't find a solution to that we may end up just rebuilding something once again that is sustained by force and because of that uh prepared for for collapse so how do we harmonize different different views yeah that's that's a, a really good question um, people are amazingly diverse we have very different uh preferences about what we like to eat who we like to spend time with what kind of hobby we engage in but it's it's actually Maybe and it may sound uh, paradoxical to people, even though it's not. It's it's actually the high level stuff that's easiest to agree on, right? Because mm -hmm. we 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 have to do dialectic with other people, um, in order to know what we're talking about when we're talking about a thing. Because if we haven't done that, and you and I are going to talk about justice, for example, I'm going to simply assume that you have the same conception of justice as I am. That's just not true. We're going to, yeah. to do that. So dialectic is all about um, a, a going on a shared search for the truth. Okay. 
And even though I'm a dialectician and you may be a dialectician, we want to learn from one another. We want to agree. And luckily for us, there is logic in, in just, it's, it's a, a thing that's there. Um, so we are going to end up on, uh, on the same page. And it's the high-level stuff, the stuff that we can immediately agree on that is kind of good for us, beneficial for us. Love, for example, that's actually going to make it um, very unlikely that we're going to end up with different views of, of mm -hmm. what love is. If we go step by step, and if mm -hmm. we don't agree on something, then let's find the last point where we did agree mm -hmm. and... Um, and so on, you know, and it might take a while. And maybe for a while we won't really understand one another. So it might take a while for us to really stumble on, a, on an adjacent concept, which we haven't understood, and tend to that, um, you know, something like desire. You know, maybe for you, um, yeah, anyway, I'm not going to go into that. But, you know, and once we fix that thing with desire, we now see that love is much easier to, to sort out. But... The nature of thing is such that um, some things are uh, are just not going to be so different as to make us um, put us in opposite corners of the of the boxing um, mm. ring. You know, if yeah. if you're gonna tell me like, oh, love is not even a good thing, that we should aspire. Well, okay, but <laughs> find many yeah. people like that. Yeah, that would be hard though. Uh, to to find people interested in building a golden age that would actually consider that love is a negative thing uh so but like i usually ask this question which is basically uh what are some values that you believe that are related to to the modern golden age but i wanted to just shift a little bit this question to you specifically because since we talk about uh, uh dialectics and what happens is instead of what are some of the values in the modern golden age i would love to ask you what are some of the concepts you think we need to think about in order to get to a modern golden age? The good. <laughs> Start from there. Um, really, it works on, on all of these things that I mentioned, and there are a lot of uh, things that are related. And really, I have to say, they're pretty much all in Plato's writing, so it's not like we have to... We still have to, we still have to do the work. Like, I'm familiar with correct analyses for five or six dialogues, uh, one of which I've done and the other by Iver, but there are 36 dialogues and we need more people to work on that. Um, and it's not because we're going to adopt Plato's um, opinion as it is and, and betray ourselves and not think about critically. Uh, but I have to say the man was uncannily kind of giving good good accounts of, of concepts um, in his puzzles. Um, so it's a lot of puzzles, but start, start with the good. And this is what we're also doing um, on the first. Um, this is the concept that we're uh, trying to figure out first when I'm doing dialectic with people. The good is just extremely important for a few reasons. And so can you name a few? Is it yeah, absolutely. Well, um, since it's 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 given that we're alive, then the next thing is kind of to ask, well, what kind of life? 
do you want, right? And the answer is, well, I want a good life. So I want to live well. So it, it's right there. It's the, it's the very first thing that kind of gets bunched together with, you know, what could be a good thing for us to, to pursue in this life. And this is above, I could pursue um, a pious life. I could pursue a life of luxury. I could pursue a life of, of love or something like that. But none of these things are inherently telling me that I'm living a good life. A good life. So you want to go straight to the source and find out what the good is. Um, so that is going to explain to you what the, what the adverb is of well in living well. Um, and also, it just clarifies our thinking immediately once we realize good is a relation. Um, and it helps us really... Uh, it's at the base of looking forward at, at having a foresight, basically of having sound foresight hinges on our understanding of the good. Yeah, so two questions. First of all, when you say that good is a relationship, you mean that as in a way that a certain action will be more aligned with the good than the other? Is that what it is? Or is it anything? Um, not exactly. I mean, and I hesitate here because I don't want to spoon, spoon feed anybody and people listening will understand that I'm doing it for their own uh, good. But if, if you were if you were to tell me we could start with a few questions and I would do it to you. So, um, yeah, what do you think? Hmm. So and and instantly we we turn this into 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 a session, right? Okay. Uh but yeah, so me trying to define the good. Uh I would say that the good um is something that makes me feel aligned. Um something that I that I don't have any um how do you say ex uh, like I'm not hesitant in in having done it, uh, having done something. So let's say that I do something, and then later when I'm thinking about that, I'm completely uh, calm with having done that action. Uh, that's what I would say is is the good. I think. Uh, is that do you mean that you feel that regardless of outcomes maybe the outcomes weren't the ones you you really hoped for yeah i'm I, i'm yeah i'm willing to say that the outcomes aren't the ones that i was expecting but that to me is less important than making sure that the action was the action that i wanted to take mm -hmm. uh, yeah so you know, I, I, yeah, we're not going to do a, a session here. Don't worry, because yeah, this this takes its time. But you know, the beginning of of dialectic is taking something like the good and exactly going like that. Understanding um, for me, it's going to be understanding the the getting to know the mind of Juan and um, see what interests you, what um, connotations it brings into your mind when I say the good. Um, and then maybe look at a few very common uses that we have for the word goods and maybe not start with the things that are very convoluted and complicated about inner conflicts and 
finding romantic partners and all that. But now with everyday things where it might be easier because we're less emotionally triggered. So like, what is a good mm. knife, for example? What is mm. a good chair? Um, and start kind of trying to get a 360 degree view of, of things that are around the good because this is what we want to do, right? Is, is yeah. um, find the limits of that and look at that. Um, but I will say that, you know, it, quite early on, it turns out that the good is a, is a relation. Like, I will say that because, and I can give an easier example of, of relations, right? Relations which we know, it's something like um, inside. If I, if I asked you, what is inside? What is the concept of inside? Of insight or inside, mm -hmm. sorry. Inside, something that's inside something, or near or far away from. It doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess it would be uh, uh, something that's. I don't know. Yeah. So, so at, at, at certain times in your life, you're going to say uh, something like, Oh, the remote is in the box, right? Um, mm. So the remote is inside. Does it mean inside. that the um, the remote control for the TV is inherently inside something, or is it going to be outside in a minute? Uh, it can be on, in uh, on so it, It's not. So it's not inherently inside, right? Which yeah. really gives us this moment to think about. Oh, it's inside is is a relation. It's not something which is attributed to something, and and that's it. The thing mm. is. Um, oh, I get inherently, it. and and that's that's the thing with the good. It's Once beautiful. you realize that an everyday object, like a remote control, is good for operating the TV, but is bad for cutting vegetables, then you realize that the remote control is neither good nor bad inherently. It's mm. good in relation for something. In a, okay, um, I get it. Uh, mm -hmm. Okay, that yeah, that that makes little sense. Uh, I don't. Like turning back again to to the modern golden age, um, like dialectics would be a practice that I believe uh, is aligned with bringing uh, a modern golden age. In your opinion, do you have any other practices that you think uh, we should do in order to become the individuals that then can bring a modern golden age? Yeah, absolutely. Um, dialectic is um, is a practice. But it's 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 more about creating the framework. It's not it's not the application, and the application of concepts is another practice which we have to do. So if I know the theory very well, but I don't go out there and practice it, then I'm nothing. Um, I'm not doing anything that's actually good for me. If I understand what's good for me and don't act on it, um, that's kind of silly. Um, so really acting in the broadest sense of, of the words, being out in the world, engaging with it, experimenting with what you think, because learning also happens through uh, making mistakes, obviously. So a budding dialectician, we have our time if, and of course, I realize that if we are underprivileged and we are very poor and we just have to work the whole time, we don't have the time and energy for dialectic. Um, and I, I I want to say what my vision is for dialectic later as well. Um, but we, we have to simply engage and, and, and be uh, persevering and be brave about 
doing things in the world and, and learning from them. So that's the, the other aspect, because dialectic only kind of gives us the theoretical framework of concepts. We still have to, to apply them. Um, in terms of, of other um, activities, so, you know, a, a lot of activities are in general very beneficial. But um, do I want to generalize right now and prescribe to everyone? I don't even prescribe dialectic to everyone. OK, so, so this kind of serves as a segue to what I'm, I'm very much emphasizing about dialectic. We do dialectic as adults only because the education that we got, we didn't get from parents who are dialecticians. Okay? So we have to remember, a, a child that grows up with dialectician parents doesn't need to do yeah. uh, dialectic, you know, when after the, uh, they were taught to think well. Yeah. So, and, and I feel like that is a lot with the, with the different practices that you're asking now, right? Because mm. one tempting thing would be to say meditation, for example, where you mm. like regulate your nervous system and you're able to, you're, to better cope with whatever reality throws at you because you're better um, regulated, right? Well, again, uh, meditation should be easy to teach to children and it is easy to teach to children and the only reason we're prescribing it en masse to adults yeah. is because yeah. we didn't get it as as children i think that's true for a lot of practices yeah that i i, I had never thought about it. that that makes a little sense uh so mm, yeah Okay, perfect. So uh, I, I have just a, a, a bunch of other questions that are not directly related with with, with the topic uh, of the book. Can can are, uh, but but it's I I don't have a perfect segue. Let's let's just say that. But one of them is um, uh, after following you on Twitter and having met you a bunch of different times, I think that like me, you're a fan of conversation, uh, of dialogue. And so my question is, why that is? Why do you think that dialogue is such uh, an important thing? Uh, it's a cheat code for creativity. I was just today editing the episode, which is going to be released two weeks from now on my podcast about creativity with two of my good friends, um, Nicolas and Gibran. And in there I mentioned, and so I'm just echoing what I said in that conversation which I heard today and therefore echoing to you now. Um, it's a cheat code, right? It's like so many people want to be creative in their own minds. Um, and when in fact we can just start a conversation and we are, it's, it's a surefire thing that we're going to stumble on something new that neither you nor I could, could have thought of by yourselves. Um, and if this is directed at solving problems, then having a good conversation, it's just, it's, it's almost a cheat code. Yeah, really, because it's uh, putting both our minds together and applying them to solve a problem. It's exponentially more effective than trying to be everything in one mind, you know? And, um, and this is true for any kind of problem. This is true for a personal problem. Um, if the the other person you're having a dialogue with is is somebody who's in fact uh, beneficial and a lot of people would come to you with just the the advice that they have whatever and not looking at the context but if you're talking with somebody who's thoughtful with somebody who's um 
aspiring to to get things right and they're going to be asking you questions about the the problem that you're facing that is going to elucidate it much better than you could have done with yourself when maybe you can't even do that because um you're emotionally unregulated at the moment. Yeah, right? and trapped and, and in, in your own narrative. And, and even exactly. because of that, and, and sometimes, like, I'll say that sometimes just hearing someone, because I'm, I'm a fan of conversation because I totally agree. I think this is a, a cheat code. And I think that personally it's a, a cheat code, not only to create creativity, but also through a bunch of different areas, right? Like, it, it's a way to suddenly, just like reading to me is, is, is a shit code, it, it's, it's a way to combine minds and to get into a, a, a third thing that's bigger than the conversation mm -hmm. that was happening. I talked about this uh, with, with Tashin in, in, in a previous episode. Uh, and so, like, I, I think that, in, in, and even sometimes, like, sometimes what you need is someone who asks you a question and makes you really think about your problem. But sometimes there are conversations that you're having. Someone, instead of just asking you a question, just gives you a, 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 an opinion or even a, a, a piece of advice that actually can benefit you, right? So I'm a very big fan of conversation as well. And just wanted to say that I think that it goes beyond, and I think you agree too, it goes beyond uh, the, the only, only the, the, the creative part. Um, and, and my second question is, there are two, two themes that I associated with you after meeting you for a while. The first one is conversation. The second one is friendship. And I was wondering, why is it friendship so important to you? I mean, it, I, I, I'm just assuming that it is. It might not be, but... Uh... It's, it's super important. Super important. I mean, it's, it's about... Uh having good relationships and it's related with uh, conversation too. Like you say, we want to transcend ourselves. We all have this in us. We feel better when we are among um, like-minded, like-hearted people. So we have an interest to, to put ourselves in the position where we're surrounded by, um, by people who just have this effect on us. And we do that by conversation, as you say. It's um, it's our way of, of step by step becoming closer and closer into something that's that's more um, one in nature rather than two separate things. And and friendship is is another. If you and I talked about the nature of friendship, and uh, and we could agree on that, then it just makes things easier. It just cuts through a lot of. Uh, suspicions um and and so on which our world is rife with the suspicion and i'm trying to to really reverse that i think personally in my life there was a huge change when i realized that trust and friendship um friendship from me to another person okay friendship does not have to be mutual um but me being uh, full of trust and me being a friend to other people should be uh, the default. Not something I evolve into as I meet the other person. Because if I start with suspicion, it's, uh, I'm, I may never be vulnerable and we may never get as, as close as we could have been. So I'm not saying be reckless, right? It's just like, oh, this person off the street, like, you can give them your wallet and like trusting people, whatever, and make it into a ridiculous kind of quip that you can put online. It's like smile at the world and the world will smile. Now I don't know. Some people are assholes. 
Um, <laughs> so nothing like that, but still, the the, the aim and the, and the we should go around thinking like there is a person out there. I don't want to miss a chance to help them if I can, if it's if it's aligned with my goals, as you say. So, um, and and this is related to justice, which is really benefit other people at all times. Don't be content with just not harming them because it's the law or something, whatever. Mm. You need to be benefiting other people um, as much as possible. Awesome. So, Ayal, I just have two more questions. Uh, the first one is, you mentioned the education system and you're also a parent. Um, and, and so, besides dialectics, what are some of the things that you wish that were present in the educational system um, that, that you 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 now having a, a, a child realize that are very important and are not present yet oh yeah um i mean it's it's not particularly bad the education system it's just a reflection of our sick society so it's it's a subset of that and so it's as sick as the rest of society and society is sick i'm not saying it's like completely unhinged, mentally ill. No, there's been certain areas where we've made progress and I'm happy we're not in a state of anarchy and, and so on. But it is sick, it's not healthy. Um, and this goes, uh, the same goes to the education system. So um, I think that uh, what I see around me, if, if, if I guess I, I want to highlight one thing, is that parents are happy to get away from their children. <laughs> They're happy to let the system take care of them, right? And I'm yeah. talking about one-year-old babies, even mm -hmm. six-month-old babies, okay? And um, it's just there are a lot of things that cause this to be the case. I think first and foremost is because our, our society, at least in the West, is very um, individualistic and we've been uh, played a trick on where we are kind of further and further divided and sent into our um, homes alone and we are we don't have our drive we in some countries are not likely to even stay around our nuclear family past uh, mm -hmm. college so i think um it takes a village right i mean i i didn't come up with it it's a famous mm -hmm. thing but it takes a village to to raise a healthy mm -hmm. child um and this is going to be something which I'm, I'm constantly fumbling for solutions for this, and there are no easy solutions. It's objectively hard to find a solution to the socialization problem, yeah. to the going back to the community, um, going back to the tribe kind of thing. Super hard. Super hard for me. I'm, I'm still I'm a Western person who, yeah. um, who was raised in that. Um, so I, I'd say that, bring back familiarity, bring back people who just wish well or not professional, but just like care for the children. And um, it's, it's going to make everything easier if we have a little bit more support. Yeah, perfect. Such a great answer. Ayal, uh, my last question is a, a very personal, a personal question to me, which is, are you more comfortable answering or making questions and the follow-up would be, what do you prefer? Because you may, may be more comfortable in answering, but actually prefer asking. I don't know. Tell me. 
that that's a that's a, a great great question. I love it. I think that um, you know before doing dialectic, before undergoing some changes in my psyche that I worked hard on, I was just the typical person who is speaking to a person, but really in my own mind, I have a, a voice that's already thinking about what to say, right? To uphold some sort of image of of the ego or whatever. So I'm I'm definitely familiar with that kind of default. Um, mode and that's very uncomfortable because it's really when you feel attacked right so you're basically defensive and then you go on the offensive but it's really uh, you go on the offensive so that they don't get to you and so on that's very uncomfortable but in that sense uh, that mode kind of you want to be talking because if you talk a lot and and you can talk about the other person that's even better right it's like nothing gets to you um then with dialectic i found out about listening and and really listening and and the beauty of listening is that um if you have a quiet psyche that's not does not experience inner conflict well you can be there for the other person and there's nothing this is empty and you're just focusing on next question with which you're going to ask and you and you don't just drag it out so that the conversation goes forever and it doesn't touch you but you want to ask a good question that will lead this person to the to the next thought which may benefit them by giving them a, a great idea um so then it, i'm very comfortable with with asking questions um today i'm also comfortable with giving answers so i think with time that's just when you become comfortable with both that's when conversations become a lot of fun and the thing to cherish and the thing to to seek out yeah such a great answer el thank you so much my uh, i have a last question which is basically where can people find you so if people want to subscribe to your podcast if they want to follow you what are the best place to do so yeah um so i i think we're both dedicated twitterati so twitter is uh, is a good place to find me at eyal shai uh, too and um yeah reach out uh, my dms are open and i can link to a bunch of stuff i'll send you the, the, the link to the dialectic document i also have a website so i'm a tour guide if anybody's interested in that or just uh just a history lesson about israel i've done that before with people who just asked nicely so i'm happy to do that i'm happy to do dialectic with whoever um does for as long as i'm free and i have time i'm happy to do that for free with people and just uh, really help the cause there um yeah so i don't know reach out i'm just a guy with yeah, we'll leave <laughs> we'll the links to 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 your twitter profile on the script on the description and also we'll leave the link to the deep dive podcast which once again it's an amazing podcast and everyone listening should subscribe uh because it's definitely worth it by the way, while you're subscribing Deep Dive, you can also subscribe to Modern Golden Age podcast, there you and go. uh, and we and everyone benefits basically. So that's it, El. Thank you so much for doing this. It was a real pleasure. Uh, to everyone listening, please go show some love to El in in Twitter and subscribe to his podcast as well. And I'll see you all in the next episode. Bye, everyone. Mm -hmm.